most people's hair. Hello and welcome to episode 67 of What Most People Think. How are you? Man, you're tense, you're tense about the whole Brexit thing. We're gonna get we're gonna get a season finale on Sunday. What's gonna happen? Any of the main characters gonna die? You know, and I think that if there, if there is a deal, I, I'm really looking forward to all the remainers going, well, you know what? This is great. Let's just make the best of it. That's definitely what I think is going to happen. Uh, we've had a little bit of liberty back, you know, lockdown ending. I'm sure that the government then want to plunge us into some new one in different areas. But have you have you enjoyed your liberty? Have you? I've certainly, I've certainly remember what my credit card looks like when I can actually leave the house. Fuck me. Jesus Christ. Another lockdown, please, Boris. Soon, soon as possible. Um... Thank you for all the lovely feedback about last week's show. And normally when comedians say that, uh, what it means is there was like two comments, but they really want to put it out there that it went well. But it was a solo show, but I really tried to make it as funny as possible. And uh, people seem to respond to that. And I know that quite a lot of people who listen to this, they sort of, you know, this one does have a guest, by the way. But like you see that there's no guest and you think, I'll give that one a miss. That that one, people seem to like that. So maybe um, check that one out. Um, yeah, we have a guest this week, Leo Curse, the Scottish right-wing comedian. He's been on the show before. A lot of you will know about him. Uh, we had a chat. So what I thought with people coming back to the podcast now, I thought it might be good to get them to sit in on the kind of topical bits that I do like, you know, when I'm recording, you know, a show on my own. So Leo sat in and we had a good laugh. He told me what he was up to. And I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. And just to uh, ID the program, as they say, this is what most people think. This is the podcast that comes from the, uh, you know, the non-woke, you know, the, the, the contrarian side. When they say contrarian, they often mean what quite a lot of the British public think. But that's the point of the show. Somebody, some lefty on Twitter tried to get at me saying, oh, well, how can you possibly claim to know what most people think? Do you not think that that's kind of the point of the show is that I'm putting out there polemical ideas and if you take exception, you can email me on whatmostpeoplethinkuk uh, at gmail.com. Uh, new patrons, i got a shout out that I owe to John Amos. Steve John Amos. Just sounds like a... He sounds like like John Legend, do you know what I mean? Like someone that would do a solo, a duet with, you know? John Amos, the new Christmas album, Chocolate Love. <laughs> that sounded like I meant racial. Oh, genuinely, I was thinking about Christmas and Yuletide logs, but you know it is now, I'll probably get cancelled for that. Uh, Steve Temple, Steve Temple, solid bloke Steve Temple. Yeah, he's, uh, he owns a breaker's yard. That's Steve Temple. Uh, Spencer Richards, who does sound like a left back for Millwall. Topical. Bruce Collingwood. Bruce Collingwood, he sounds like an Australian film director. The new film from Bruce Collingwood about a it'd be about it'd be about some weird underlying racial issue in Australia that we're not fully up on. And Mark Dean, who I think played for Norwich, didn't he? Mark Dean, he sounds like a solid midfielder for Norwich back in the nineties. Played alongside. Mickey Phelan there, Ian Culverhouse, that vintage. <laughs> uh, cuss Count, David Domain, friend of the show. I haven't had the Cuss Count for him for last week, or have I? It, please get in touch, David. One, to know that you're alive and well. I am recording it a bit earlier this week, so. Uh, but I'm imagining it was a solo show. I'm going to hazard a guess that it was maybe a one point. Oh, did he Did he send it to me? I, I don't know. Apologies if you have sent it to me, David, but we will. I'll catch up on that next week and we'll resume normal order. Um, just a quick catch up on what I've been doing this week. I've been recording my audio book, uh, which is... <laughs> I keep forgetting the fucking title. It's Where Did I Go Right? Brackets, How the Left Lost Me. And um, it was an interesting experience, man, because obviously I talk on the podcast. I'm much better when I'm shooting from the hip and just thinking off the top of my head. When I have to go down, right, to reading words off a page. Now, if my publisher's listening, I'm not badly marketing the audio book here. I did sort it out, mainly because I had a bloke who basically was the producer for the day that was fucking great, do you know what I mean? He could tell that I was a bit worried and hadn't done it before, and uh, he man-managed the shit out of me. But it was genuinely, so, so it's going to be it's gonna be really good. I listened to some of it back, and I'm, I'm really happy with it. And just a reminder, generally, that my book is available for pre-order uh, on Amazon or Waterstones or wherever you want to get it. And, um, yeah, I mean, look, come on. If you know someone who you know that the miss is, she's, she's shaping up to get your socks or one of those shitty little golf novelty toys. Go, you know what, babe? This year, here's the link. Just send me the email or print it out. 
if you're still living in that era where you can print stuff, put it in an envelope. And I'd rather look forward to the book coming out uh, than have that. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a perfect Christmas gift. It's something to look forward to uh, in, in uh, 2021. Because if you believe all the papers in The Guardian at the moment, well, it's all we're, it's mainly going to be food riots and medicine shortages. But at least you'll have something to read. Uh, just a quick thank you and a fuck you before we get into the chat with Leo. Uh, thank you, basically, to the, my mate that I mentioned I did the audio book with. I mean, he just the most chilled. You know, some people are just naturally chilled out. Even though at one point I got the, I got the sweats on at the beginning, I was thinking, fucking hell, I've got to do a lot of reading today, which some of you with sense would think, well, that would be a big part of reading an audio book, Jeff. But I had that sweat come on, and this is going to be a bit gross, but does anyone else call it? I call it the bad onion. Do you ever get that? Where just like it's that immediate adrenaline sweat. And look, once you've had that sweat, you're like, well, that's fucked for the rest of the day, isn't it? And until I have a shower, I'm going to have to walk around with my arms down by my shoulders. You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to fit through a fucking fence. Um, but yeah, no, he really, there's a lot to be said, mate, for man management. You know, like, there's different kind of managers, isn't there? You know, Fergie, he might be with a hairdryer treatment where this guy, he was one of those managers, you know, a little arm around the shoulder, you know, just a, a little word in the ear, a bit more of a Mike Breely type character. <laughs> And uh, just a fuck you to the woman. So, so on, when I was going down, one of the things that made me tense on the morning I was recording the audio book is that I was getting a train down to London and there was somebody who was hit on the line at Stevenage, which at this time of year, we all know roughly what that means. It was obviously, you know, we had to get evacuated from the train. I took evasive action. If I've got one bit of advice in life, if you think your travel is fucked, don't think about it. Just go straight, get a cab, just do something decisive, right? And so while all the people were standing there like punch drunk from the fact that their morning was going to be a massive shitstorm, I was already striding out to a black cab and I thought I'm just going to get a cab to Cockfosters right from Stevenage and you know it's going to cost but I just need to be on time. And uh, this, these two other women come and say can we share a cab because we're going the same way. I was like fucking yes you know what I mean I'm going to share the cost but one woman she was going on the Eurostar to Paris to do some Christmas shopping and you would have thought that the potential of her missing her train, right, she was clearly rich as well, was worse than the poor train driver that had to witness what happened that morning. Or indeed the bloke that evidently, I'm saying bloke, but statistically that's more likely, that took his life. You know, I don't think the train driver has had a great morning either, love. You know what I mean? He's not necessarily getting his train connections, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Like when people, there's always that bit when I'm stuck in traffic. You know what I mean? Like if you're just in a little bit of traffic, there's a part of me that goes, oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, thank you very much, God. I can honestly think that at that point in the world, my situation is dire. I sometimes feel like, why, does, why isn't this on the news that I've been stuck? And then when the traffic doesn't move for like an hour, I'm like, nah, someone's dead. And then in a weird way, and this is probably not very nice, I sort of relax a bit then because I think, well, yeah, they've got to do their investigations. Might as well chill out, Jeff. So um, so I think what I've learned about myself is that uh, short-term delays, I'm the most selfish prick in the world. But when someone has really died, I'm a terrible... But when someone has really actually died, I'm actually quite a nice bloke. So welcome back to What Most People Think, Mr. Leo Curse. Hello, Jeff. Thanks for having me back on. No, no, well, it's been a while, wasn't it? We last spoke on this podcast in uh, Edinburgh last year. Right, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, a lot has changed since then. Yes, you've been, you've been up to all sorts. You're involved in the Reclaim Party. What, what's going on? What's going on at your end? Yeah, that's right. So, basically, I got involved with the Reclaim Party because it's a cause close to my heart. Basically, the, the aim of the party is to sort of reclaim um, British culture and end the this, this sort of systemic wokeness through the arts. And, so this uh, is the party media, that uh, and, Lawrence Fox is involved with. Yeah, Lawrence Fox set up. So obviously he he you know made a he caused a furore when, when he was on Question Time, um, and you know made some comments about you know um, I guess white people being discriminated against and the the sort of um, the ridiculousness of woke culture, and um, as a result of that he was he was cancelled. He was dropped by his acting agency. And mm. um, I've I've had similar things. So I was I was I went on the Radio Four Today show. Uh, a few months back uh, to talk about the lack of representation of um, right-wing comedians in, in BBC hmm. comedy. Um, I mean, you're the only one. <laughs> you're like the, well, yeah, you're and even, even, even I am sort of centre-right, and they, they, some people think that's like a bit too uh, sharp for yeah. their taste. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I was just making the point that, you know, the, the BBC tends to take its comedians from this, like, small pool 
uh, yeah. the Oxbridge graduates, and uh, when they when they have a you know what they call a diverse uh, comedian, they they just mean somebody you know with the exact same opinions, same voice, um, but with a slightly different skin tone, which to me isn't mm -hmm. you know genuine diversity. So say we need more uh, working class, more right wing people, because there's a lot of you know um, working class people uh, and white people out there that they're feeling quite disenfranchised. And I think mm -hmm. it's dangerous over the next over the next year. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna have uh, economic turmoil, lots of yeah. unemployment. Um, the currency, our, our currency, could spiral into into inflation. We've got, you know, the makings of the Weimar Republic happening. So, you know, <laughs> there's a, there's a real risk of the rise of the far right. So this and, is uh, like cultural institutions in, in various kind of like key battlegrounds of kind of woke discourse. So you sort of feel that they're not standing up for perhaps traditional or even a majority viewpoint yeah absolutely they're not so you know there's not not much representation of uh, traditional traditional viewpoints and fairly moderate you know centrist political opinions um and uh, and also anybody that speaks up against it uh, gets cancelled so many people so many people that i know have been cancelled and there's a real fear even even amongst my woke friends there's a yeah. real fear of, of getting cancelled. Like my flatmate was kicked off a filming project because she she tweeted that uh, the looting was bad that was happening during the you know the Antifa the Black Lives Matter protest. Yes, yeah. Which seems like you know saying looting is bad doesn't seem that an inflammatory opinion to me. Um, or or so maybe maybe was she commenting on the quality of the looting, like what people were taking? <laughs> maybe this is the worst looting I've ever seen, man. Yeah, well it's a lot easier now. All They've the got no sell-on value at cash converters. Yeah, all the, all the electronic goods are, are so small these days. You know what I mean? It's not like doing it in 1982. But, um, <laughs> yeah, those were real. I mean, the Rodney King riots, they didn't fuck about, did they? Yeah, yeah. People, even, even people have still got back problems King, from the... People to hold that camcorder, you know what I mean? Um, give, us, give us some examples, because one of the things that perhaps the left, have, they've started mocking the idea of cancel culture and, and they often use the example that because very powerful people still exist and are powerful that therefore cancel culture doesn't exist i mean you've given the example um of your your friend there with the filming have you got any other examples of where holding fairly you know moderate views have resulted in people losing work or being excluded yeah i mean lawrence fox was dropped by his agent um, um mate the, the volume for some reason has gone right down Okay, so at this point, we should point out the tough man of comedy just got uh, browbeaten by his missus there, <laughs> who, who was calling, and he he had to address it. You know, it's all I know. Yeah. This six foot four right wing comedian, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and she's uh, and she's uh, she's beam. If that's still the right word to use. No, but that doesn't mean anything, Leo. That doesn't take away from your <laughs> racism. If anything, it makes it worse, and I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, she she'd probably agree with that. Yeah, you're just trying to colonise her vagina. That's all you're doing, mate. <laughs> some, some women like that. <laughs> uh, well, it's quite early in the podcast for the go down that route. I mean, when I say route, I don't mean... Anyway. Um, so, yeah, we were talking about, you know, the, like where, where you'd got in trouble with the Live Comedy Association. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so... So the representation, inclusion rep from the Live Comedy Association, they tweeted saying that that was racist, which is probably the worst thing that can happen to a white man in 2020. Mm. Um, but she, she said it was racist, and um, uh, as a result, I mean, I, I complained to the to the LCA because I thought it was it was unfair. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and uh, and then you know a, a Ferrari kicked off. They sort of stood by her, and um, then some promoters blacklisted me. Um, and uh, some of them, bit problematic there, mate. Blacklisted. Can we just? Sorry, I just. <laughs> you know, I'm working with the BBC. They, they've got to me, mate. Can we just go with something like <laughs> Imperial listed you, or you know, just something? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they. I mean, yeah. At the moment, in the in the BBC, whitelisted probably would be a better term for it. Seeing as uh, you can't see it, then you know. the representation. <laughs> you no longer, or you no longer appear on the page. <laughs> yeah so um so that that happens then i was like you know i was like man this is this is bad and then i was speaking to to friends and even like you know quite woke left-wing friends who work in the bbc um and work, work in the arts are really worried about the yeah. this sort of culture of fear this you know people getting cancelled for for having opinions and um 
Well, yeah, big, so, I mean, that is one of the big kind of problems is that we know we get emailed by people, we speak to people and they are just shit scared because in fairness to them, they know that the, the woke and the left like nothing more than to devour their own. So us saying something is nowhere near as bad to them as like, I mean, you look at it, even someone like Robert Webb, right? He said, you know, he's come out in support of JK Rowling. He's, you know, persona non grata now evil transphobe you know so so on one hand i empathize why they keep them but it really is exacerbating the problem isn't it yeah yeah absolutely and jk rowling's a classic example like a few years ago she would have been like you know just a she was a shining paragon of left-wing virtue yeah. you know like you know she she clearly is like a compassionate person but she's got some some opinions about the fairly intractable um you know trans transgender issue that, mm. um, that aren't, you know, right in line with the woke doctrine. And the thing that I find weird about it is that, you know, progressive values, they change all the time. They progress. That's why they're called progressive. So yeah. how can people be so certain that the ones they've got right now at this instant are the absolutely perfect right ones and anyone who doesn't believe them is a witch and has to be thrown off a cliff? Well, you know, what I've, I've often thought about Greta Thunberg is that, like, what age is she now? She's, like, what, 17, 18? It's like... But like you, your tastes change all the time. She might not give a shit about yeah. all these bollocks. You know what I mean? When she's twenty three, she might be jet skiing in Ibiza <laughs> with fucking Cara Delevingne and just like, off yeah. her tits. And just like it might seem really weird to her. She's like, I just don't know why I was even bothered about all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, although she can, she can still the way things are going, she'll still be able to like uh, come out and talk about um, climate change yeah, from her jet, like Lewis Hamilton did. He's on a speedboat. He's on a speedboat and he's right. preaching about climate change. It's like, stop driving a speedboat. What do you think? You know, when celebrities say stuff like that, that is so fundamentally, that is so fundamentally hypocritical, why do they say it, do you think? Is, is it that they've got teams around them that are so sycophantic that no one says, Lewis, you might not be the best person to talk about carbon <laughs> emissions? Just yeah. saying, mate. <laughs> like even in like a even in one of your practice laps, you probably have a bigger f carbon footprint than like a family SUV for a year. <laughs> why don't Why don't they say this stuff to him? I think I think it sort of reveals the fact that wokeness is a is a fashion, and it's it's you know it's all performative. It's not real. I mean, if any if any any of these like any of these people, any of these climate change people, really wanted to reduce their their carbon footprint. They can reduce it 100% by killing themselves. You don't see any of them doing that. <laughs> they obviously love themselves a bit more than they love the earth. Yeah, they should Thanos themselves. Yeah. <laughs> That's what suicide should be now, doing a self-Thanos. Yeah, yeah. And then you like you jump it. You just do it so you fall into your composting box. All right, mate. Well, listen, we've got you there this week. And what, what I'm doing is with people coming back on the show is to sort of like sit in and look at the topical stuff together. So the first thing we're yeah. going to look at is Brexit. Right. As we speak, we're recording this Thursday morning. Put a little time code on it as we'll be proved wrong about fucking everything. But Boris had a little dinner with Ursula von der Leyen last night. And um, as we know, like women having dinner with Boris, it could have been worse for her. Do you know what I mean? She could have come away pregnant and without any <laughs> kind of child support. But so far, all they've done is, is resolve to resolve something on, on Sunday. Now, I know that you, uh, despite being a conservative voting comedian, you did vote Remain. Having seen all the salty liberal tears that have been shed over Brexit, isn't there a part of you that regrets it just for the sheer sport of having known that you caused <laughs> that? You caused that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. It's interesting you bring that up. Because, I mean, like, Brexit, like, Remain was the official Tory line when I voted. No, so the, yeah, yeah, it's true. So, you know, Cameron was, was, you know, campaigning to get people to vote Remain, just not very successful. Um, but uh, but it's interesting you mention that because I was talking to a comedian the other night who uh, who voted Remain, but he was saying, I mean, well, maybe maybe I shouldn't mention his name because this is something that can get you cancelled these days. We'd vote Leave. Mm. We'd vote Leave. I'm not, you know, I'm in favour. I'm I'm just a sort of pragmatist. I think it's good to be part of a big trading block, and I think yeah. it's good for Scotland to remain in the UK. But I'd vote Leave. I just hate the way that Leave voters have been treated and the way they've been smeared in the media and uh, just castigated as, as racist idiots. Um, I, think, I think most of them aren't racist. And uh, I think, you know, if, you're, if your starting position is that, like, half the country is racist, that's not a tenable position. That's not a... That's not a I, I reckon I've always, I've always thought it's about an eighth of the country. 
<laughs> I thought if people, people had said like an eighth of the country is racist, I would have gone, yeah, I, I think that they probably are to varying <laughs> degrees. But the moment yeah. they said half, I'm like, I just, I just don't, I just yeah, don't buy many. that. It's yeah, too it's many. Too I mean, like with um, No Deal, like I, I, you know, I, I voted on the promise of a deal, right? I was, I was one of the yeah. boring leavers. I think a lever that wants a deal sort of feels like being the nominated driver. You just feel a bit boring, like all the rock and roll guys who are like, fucking yeah, man, let's just get out of there. Um, <laughs> but I, I do wonder, you know, the EU have definitely made concessions uh, that they didn't want to make. So there must be some potential benefit to no deal, right? If the EU are even still in the game of averting it, I do sometimes yeah. wonder that if you're going to do Brexit, obviously the immediate shock would be much worse, but maybe yeah. the long-term games would be better. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's a tricky one. I think you know militarily, uh, it's good for us to be aligned with Europe and, and NATO and all that sort of stuff. Economically, it's good for us to have the the free you know flow of goods and services across across borders. I think immigration has to be you know capped at a sensible limit. You know, we had like three hundred fifty thousand people a year like coming into mm. the UK. Um, you know, one. From one point of view, that was that was in my thirties, and there's all these like Eastern European women coming over, which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, um, now I've got a girlfriend. You know, I'm not so. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me so much. Do you think but, Pretty um, Patel should have really made good on her name, and that should have been like the fit and proper per? You know, what they said, "Oh, you got you got to have thirty five grand or something, or yeah. you got to be like an eight, yeah, an eight and a half." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, increase like, the there's, gene. There's not a man in the country who'd like, you know. No, but to make it fair, both ways there, men and women coming into the country, let's make the yeah. country better looking. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. that would actually stimulate, you know, having sex and babies with people of other nationalities. We, because yeah. we know there are parts of this country where, you know, the look, the looks wand, the good look fairy hasn't really visited. Has yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because uh, the Vikings came, like, and they sort of, they, like, um, they came, and apparently this is why people in Sweden are so beautiful, like, yeah. Vikings came and they, they, like, sort of went around raping and pillaging and doing all their Me Too stuff, and uh, they took the best looking women and took them back to, like, Sweden, and I think in, in Dumfries, where I'm from, they actually brought some of their ugly women and dropped them off, I think it was an exchange <laughs> program, but, um, but yeah, that's apparently, that's, that's what happened. So the Vikings stole our babes. Uh, mate, but there are other countries as well. There are particularly good-looking countries. Have you ever been, like, have you have you've met many Lebanese people? Oh, yeah. They're the best-looking people in the world because they got invaded to fuck. If you look where they are on the map, <laughs> it's like, you know, you can't victim blame and say what they're asking for it. But going out there, geographically situated like that, what else did they think was going to happen? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and they are sensational, and the blokes and the and the women equally, just some of the yeah. best looking people. Maybe we should maybe we need to get more Lebanese over here. Yeah, yeah, maybe we should be targeted. This this should be because I guess we're gonna like Brexit and coronavirus is gonna put people off coming to this country so much. I mean, this is the other thing. If coronavirus had happened just like four years ago, we yeah. wouldn't have needed Brexit. Like coronavirus <laughs> has totally stopped the immigration. Nobody's like being like, oh, I'm going I'm gonna go to Britain, gonna go to England, you know, yeah. land of dreams. I've always dreamed of living in tier two. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know when they commentate on, on these processes, like with, with, with the, the talks being ongoing, I don't know why they think that we give a fuck about the details. Like, you know, Boris boarded the plane. The plane was a Learjet 127. It all becomes a bit like a royal baby, doesn't it? And then, then they <laughs> seem to think that we give a shit about what they eat. Because they say, they, they use that phrase, they say, oh, they had, tal they had turbot, and then they say washed down with, and I hate that <laughs> phrase, washed down. No one in the real world uses that, do they? Yeah, nobody eats, nobody actually washes their food down. You, I know, you it's chew such it, a gross phrase, it. yeah. Yeah, you chew it, swallow it, and then you have a drink. You don't, like, fucking put it in your mouth and then just try and fucking swallow this turbot like a paracetamol. Yeah, like, excuse me, wait, I need to wash down this fish. No one's ever said that. It's, it's like one of those pure tabloid phrases like romp. You know when there's like a celebrity? Yeah, yeah. Like in the good old days when celebrities did interesting things like fucking bang prostitutes and take cocaine. <laughs> yeah. We've had none of that this year. Because all the celebrities have been locked up. All we, we've been limited to fucking Rita Ora and Carl yeah. Walker. Oh, uh, yeah. And all the celebrity scandals these days are like, oh, a celebrity has a birthday party with six people. 
in like tier 1.8 or whatever. Yeah, back back in the day, that but it would the the scandal would have been that it was with thirty people and they were all banging the whole time, you know? Yeah, yeah, and they're dressed as Nazis. <laughs> do you think do you think Freddie Mercury just looks down from heaven, just shaking his head at what's happened to celebrity in this country? <laughs> he's like, my yeah, God. and also he's probably shaking his head at our response to coronavirus. You know what I mean? He got a, he got a proper hardcore virus with like you know a, a much higher. <laughs> A much higher. It's got like a ninety-nine point set, or back then it had a ninety-nine point eight percent like fatality rate, not a ninety-nine point eight percent survival rate. Well, I think that at this point, the AIDS pandemic has killed numbers-wise more than coronavirus has so far. So AIDS is still in the. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, coronavirus is in the Champions League slot. You know, right. It's uh, in there, but you know what? As we're talking about coronavirus, let's get on to the next subject, which is the vaccine being rolled out. So this week we had the rollout of the vaccine. Uh, the first woman, uh, the first person to get it was a woman, which again, like the sexism of this, Leo, we know that this is worse for men. What a slap in the face. Yeah. Like yeah. Look at Maggie Keenan, fuck you, Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, literally. It's, uh, it's like, cause obviously men get diseases worse than yeah. women. That's why we have man flu, like which is a more virulent strain. Uh, so yeah, it should have it gone to, to a man first. Um, I don't know, like the whole the whole um, thing. I'm I'm a bit worried about this vaccine. You know how how quickly it was made and stuff. So uh, I've decided to keep an eye on that 98 year old who had it. And if he's still fine in like 10, 15 years, well, I've seen people on Facebook literally saying like this vaccine. We can't trust this vaccine. It was developed in nine months, and like smallpox took like 13 years. The smallpox vaccine took 13 years to develop. So yeah, but we got we got computers now. Yeah. You know, I mean, they were literally, those scientists were literally riding penny farthings. And like, yeah. they didn't, like, they hadn't invented glass yet, so they're making it in a bucket with like, you know, just horse manure and bat wings and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, the idea, and also like the scale of jeopardy means that people sort of scale things up. Is there a danger though? Like, you know, where we've had these arguments where people say, I've got concerns about immigration, you're racist, right? Or I've got concerns about Black Lives Matter. Again, you're racist, right? Is there a thing of like having hesitation over uh, a new vaccine? Is or you're an anti-vaxxer? It's not as yeah, simple as that. Is it? Yeah, but I mean, I, th- I think it makes sense to. I think it makes sense to be a bit wary of it. Um, I mean, like most men, I think I've already had coronavirus, so I don't know. I don't <laughs> know if I need it. I've got. I've got antibodies. I'm like just made out of antibodies. But my flatmate, my flatmate had coronavirus and she lost her uh, sense of taste and smell. But we were in the same room like for, for days, like uh, working and because um, obviously it's, it's lockdown and stuff. So we couldn't we couldn't go out. So we were in the same room and she's coughing away. And obviously me, middle of a coronavirus pandemic, I'm like, oh, she's got a nasty dry cough. You know, like not thinking <laughs> it could be coronavirus. So I must have been breathing it all in. And um, I don't know, I got tested and didn't have it. It's so but weird. You are, you are very tall, like you're 6'4". So... Are you generally above the height at which it circulates? Because all this is another <laughs> advantage of being a tall man, you know. He's yeah, I'm like people... a, I'm like a sherpa. I'm breathing <laughs> that rarefied air. <laughs> I don't know, man. All like the the the, the globule, they're probably heavier than air, right? So there's only you think they're going yeah. down, right? Yeah, and apparently it's not that contagious. Apparently you can like live in the same house as somebody with it, and it won't transmit. Because I, I understood it was a really contagious thing, but apparently it's not that contagious at all. Well, you know, as we're talking, there's talk about uh, London going into tier three. I mean, again, you know, it's this thing where I've been trying to be sympathetic, tried to avoid the tinfoil hat, but there is a point where pre- sort of protecting the present can be vandalising the future. But yeah. it doesn't seem like anyone's willing to grapple with that politically, not just in this country, all over the world. So that's what makes yeah. me doubt myself, is that all these countries are doing roughly the same thing. So uh, yeah. has everyone got it wrong in the same way, or is it a kind of bit of bandwagon jumping? Yeah, and I think like British people, we're just not going to follow the rules. If you go to somewhere like Japan or whatever, obviously you introduce this three-tier system, everybody reads all the rules and like follows them, and so, it, yeah. so it'll work. But in the UK... We don't care. Like I've, I, didn't, I'm, I was only vaguely aware we were in tier two in London. And I, got that, I saw that list of rules and I was like, man, this is like, it's like when you get terms and conditions for car insurance. Nobody <laughs> goes through and reads all that, like 26 <laughs> pages. Like, you know, the, the, 
things with, like before you accept cookies. You're not going to read all that. You just click the button, accept cookies. And that's what we do in this country. And we, so we, we don't care. Okay, just a quick hype here. I've already reminded you about the book, which is available for pre-order. The tour, I Blame the Parents, which is out on tour for April, May of next year. Look, we're already rolling out the vaccine. Do you know what I mean? I mean, maybe my audience will be full of fucking geriatrics, but you should get booking because there are venues that are selling out or close to selling out. So uh, the London venues, I think both of those are almost sold out. You might get a ticket. Um, I think Maidenhead and Bath are both sold out. Leamington Spa is getting close. Manchester's getting close. I mean, Milton Keynes last time sold out on the tour. And look, I'm not, you know, I'm going on who he just wants to get ticket sales on the boards. The reason is some of the venues got lower capacities. So, I mean, I could go on and boast and go, hey, man, my tickets are flying out of the door. I'm close to capacity. But the truth is we can confide in one another that, um, that yeah, it's because <laughs> the rooms are going to hold less people. That could obviously change. And just to answer some people who are saying, uh, UK tour, you're only going to places in England. Fair point. Eventually, the tour will go to UK. But at the moment, as we all know, Nicola Sturgeon has got snipers on the border between England and Scotland. And fucking Mark Drayford is basically putting car bombs under anybody trying to enter Wales. So I will get to Scotland, Wales and hopefully Belfast again uh, in the autumn leg. Uh, we got one £5 Patreon. By the way, I'm hoping Patreons... I'm hoping to get a Patreon-only episode out early next week because I'm gonna, I've am gonna got a really good guest, but I don't want to jinx it because I had a good one last week and that fucked up. But uh, I'm going to get a guest out Thursday or Friday, but hopefully Monday or Tuesday there'll be a Patreon-only one. And these £5 patrons, it seems to be um, three people. So it says Hemo, Ali, or Al, and Quee, which all of those sound like internet startups, don't they? You know those weird apps that you suddenly find are worth two billion quid? Have you downloaded Hemo? Hemo's really good. Hemo is... Uh... Oh, by the way, people seem to enjoy my fake advert last week for Shitbox. So let's, uh, let's do an advert for Hemo. What would the advert for Hemo be about? Ding, ding, ding. Hi, I'm Jeff Norcott, and I don't know about you, but I've really got fed up of spending money on new jeans when all there, are, when all there is is a minor problem with my existing jeans. Jeans. That's why I use Hemo. That's right. Hemo is a new courier service where you can send frayed jeans off and people in sweatshops will, <laughs> will fix your hems for just one pound a, a week. Hemo. That's why. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. So there you go. Yeah, I'm, I'm plastering it out with advertising. Just a reminder that the Patreon community help keep the podcast weekly and ad free and free of adverts for weird things like Hemo. during lockdown we weren't properly locking down i was going going out like there's people walking around everywhere there's a shop next to me i live in edgeware road there's a shop next to me that sells suitcases and stuff and they were still open during lockdown they just had to shut her down halfway so like, well, sorry there was <laughs> an illegal trade in in suitcases i mean in suitcases of all things because he's going on holiday who's like yeah. desperate for a suitcase during lockdown I wonder how many suitcases they sold during that time. I would have, I would have bought one just because to have an anecdote for when I'm older. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I think when we're older, we're all going to want to say that we were tough guys during the pandemic. Yeah, you know, yeah. Me, I, I gigged me. I bought a fucking suitcase, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. I, I used a door handle. Didn't wash my hands afterwards. <laughs> that suitcase, I still haven't used it because we're still in tier three. But, you know. It... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In 2037. When you look at the uh, the pricing um, of, of the, the various vaccines, so we know about the three main ones. I think the Pfizer one is like 15 quid. Then there's like the Moderna one, which is 25 quid, which is kind of like the Tresemme shampoo. <laughs> the Oxford one is £2.50. Now, <laughs> it's £2.50 a pop, right? Now, like I got in a lot of trouble on Twitter for taking the piss out of the Oxford vaccine, but you do price things accordingly in life generally, don't you? Yeah. Um, and I know that people say, but, you know, people, suddenly everyone's a fucking expert on refrigeration. Um, but it's, it is 70% effective. I mean, I, I'm, you know, what, what, would you take the Oxford vaccine? Yeah, I probably would. If it, you know, if it meant I could um, travel and, like, do gigs again, because um, there's not many, there's only, the only club that's open in London at the moment, well, Backyard Open for Comedy Unleashed, but the other one's Top Secret, and they've got mm. perspex screens between the rows. 
So it's a, it's you know it's quite a it's it's a different atmosphere to performing. You feel like you're performing. It's everybody's behind a plastic screen. It's like being at the job centre, um, <laughs> which ironically is probably where I'm going to be in a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd take it. I'd take it just to just to like just help everything get back to normal. And also because you know I'm going to see my dad at Christmas, so I don't, I don't want to and my mum as well. But um, I don't want to give you know my dad. I don't want to go home in the mega bus and accidentally give my dad something I picked up in the toilets in the mega bus. Well, I, I've, um, you know, I'm probably in the same place as you is that, look, what, we're at this point where the fear is at a certain level. Whether I understand all of it, the fact is, I know that, I know that if, I was, if they told me, and this is selfishness in a way, that you just take this and these are the things you can do, I'll fucking do it. And I think most people would do, would do it if push comes to shove. But if they yeah. really want to market it, they always talk about like the medical, no one gives a fuck about the medical stuff. Just give people a list. It's the same as with like leaving the EU. If they'd have spoke more about QZIP passport control and data roaming, we would have never voted to leave, right? So yeah. the same is with the vaccine. It's just go, you can go mobs. You can go mobs, you can go Spain, you can go Algarve. Like just, just to say you can like, you can have a lock-in at a pub, you know, just, just. Yeah. You can go to a football match and be involved in a mass bundle uh, on the terraces. <laughs> yeah, the moment the only the only sort of mass like uh, group thing that you can do is uh, going to Black Lives Matter demonstration, and um, you know I'd, I'd like to open that up to other other types of socialising. Well, it's funny that you mentioned you, this is beautiful the way you're leading us through the subjects here because uh, <laughs> that that was the next thing that I was going to discuss. So let's talk about what happened at the New Den with Millwall fans booing the Black Lives Matter take the knee gesture. So yeah, it was what was it? Was it this week or last week that uh, the Millwall Saturday? I mean, like Mill fans booing something most weeks. So let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> um, so the players took the knee. And a lot, quite a lot of fans, in fairness, uh, booed. And in a, yeah, in a massive surprise, the most un-PC fans in the country booed the most PC gesture around. <laughs> and it took us all by surprise. There were, there were reports of it happening at West Ham and Colchester as well. So, I mean, the first point I make is that, is that a lot of places had fans and it didn't happen that many places, right? Which you, If you take into account the fact that it is, you know, a divisive... Um, issue not the idea that black people should be treated equally and have better lives but the black lives movement organization itself right i thought that that wasn't the worst return in the world in a way you know yeah totally yeah if it's just millwall and like maybe a few people a couple of other uh games booing it i mean i think they've priced the racist out, out of football it's become too you know too, too posh, too middle class. People, people at other games were probably booing that their, their focaccia was underdone. <laughs> Pretty the other games as well were probably, instead of thinking, oh, this is only 2,000 fans, they were thinking, look at the legroom. Look at the legroom <laughs> that we've got now. Can we just stay like this? You know, the same people are like, I'm just really enjoying having train carriages to myself. You know, I, <laughs> I think with, with Millwall is the, you know, it's obviously there are racist, you know, they do. I'm not saying all Mill fans are like this. However, saying that, yeah. I went there, I was a Wimbledon fan in 1990 on a junior Don's trip. So we were sat in the family stand. We won one nil with a John Fashionu penalty. And as the fans, the Mill fans were filing out in front of us, they were making throat cutting gestures. And we were, we were kids, right? <laughs> we were kids. This is at the old den, you know, on Cold Blow Lane. And, and also Fashionu having scored the goal. I mean, you talk about, is there a difference? Because then Fashionu got like horrific racist abuse, bananas on the pitch, awful, right? Now, yeah. people booing a gesture, it, it's, the reason it's a debate is it's not entirely clear cut, is it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're not booing. I think if they were racist, they'd boo black players. They'd boo, you know, kick it out, that, the campaign to get racism out of football. But they mm. weren't. They were specifically booing uh, people taking the knee. And I think... It's, it's valid to, to, to boo that because it's like, uh, well, I mean, at my age, I don't want to take the knee because I'm just worried about getting up again. But, um, but like, Black Lives Matter, it's, it's this doctrine, doctrine that goes way beyond, like, racial justice or fight for equality uh, to, to really saying that, like, uh, white people are inherently evil and racist based on the colour of their skin. So, I mean, if, I was going to say, if I was white, I'd be annoyed about that. Like, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm a, there's, I've got issues. I've got issues with Black Lives Matter. Not the, not the concept, but the, the organization and, you know, the, the extra thing that, things that have been added on to it. Um, you know, the sort of Marxist ideology 
And, um, and also the fact that I just think it's so obviously performative and virtue signaling. It's like when Sainsbury's did that advert and the, the tweet, like being all like, you know, oh, we're, we're the non-racist supermarket. You know, um, if you don't like it, then shop somewhere else. It's like, what, what supermarkets are racist then, Sainsbury's? <laughs> You know what I mean? And also, they, they didn't have any... They had an all-white management board until until July. Like, they literally appointed somebody as a sort of, like, the, the most tokenistic thing. It's, like, part of their marketing campaign to look, like, more woke and more, you know, like, more representative. But up till then, they, they didn't. So for them to suddenly turn around and be like, oh, we're the wokest people in the world? No, you're not. Is this a problem, like you're saying, is that it is demonstrably... Um, a gesture, you know, and it's yeah. also a gesture that has now happened because it, it was at the back end of last season and this season, hundreds and hundreds of times, you know, in grounds up and down the country, have, you know, broadcasters, match of the day, still show a bit of every single knee taking before every single game. Is it that the gesture itself, fine, concepts of Black Lives Matter, a positive thing. Is it like the white cultural establishment, their desire and fear of not seeming on side has actually exacerbated something that wouldn't have been a problem? Yeah, absolutely. And they're, they're, looking, for people to, they're looking for people to point the finger at and call racist. You know, I think everybody, everybody can feel that. And I think it also it's, it's ridiculous because, um, you know, the working class and football has been at the forefront of racial integration yeah. in this country. You know, when immigrants come to the UK, they, they live in working class areas because, you know, they can't afford to move into, you know, the, the posh places straight away. So, you know, the, in, the working class people do the side by side integration, you know, going, working alongside these people, um, working alongside immigrants and going to the pub with immigrants. Uh, whereas middle class people who like to point the finger at working class people and call them racist, they do very arm's length performative integrations. Mm. They only integrate when they hire a nanny or get an extension built on their house. Yeah. So and and it's and the their, their integration always involves a bargain, weirdly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally, totally, and lowering the lowering the wages of, uh, of a of, you know British builder. But, um, Is it but, like you like, know when they showed like the, the 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 highlights of them taking the knee? Such an odd thing as well to show a highlight of. Like in, <laughs> unless you really unless you're gonna go like look at their look at their Harry Kane. He's gone with the. Uh, right knee down first there, very straight at the back, and look at the way he gets up again. Absolutely. I mean, there's just no reason. I mean, if, like, if you're at the live game, fair enough, you know, show the footage of it happening. Just show the highlights. That's what I find fucking weird. And like in the, in the 70s, Millwall had more black players on the books than The Guardian had black journalists. <laughs> probably still. Probably around. still, though, Leo. Probably still. <laughs> <laughs> you know like maybe if it is a gesture right if it is a gesture how about so we say that you know we've had many many weeks of this happening but clearly it can raise awareness of something then why don't we move it around to other issues that need awareness yeah. right that, so there's this point where broadcasters seem happy to broadcast up why don't we go like just do one week where they all like do the ice bucket challenge or something you know mm. just mm. <laughs> yeah but, like raising awareness of black lives who's in the country and has it like you know has somebody been living in the forest for like yeah. six months and is unaware that Black Lives Matter? You know what I mean? Like who's who are they raising awareness for? Everybody's got it by now. The awareness is that's what I mean. So like, all right, if people now want some kind of social justice message from football, let let's move it about a bit. Let's let's uh, do let's do a gesture that's about uh, female gen genital mutilation. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> leave it. I mean, like, I don't know what they do then. I mean, taking the knee what? might look bad in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, look, we've probably said a few things there that we're going to get cancelled for. Uh, let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to this week's letters. Uh, first up, nice and simple. This is from. Uh, I don't know if you want me to say his name because clearly he's a Tory councillor. <laughs> um, do you think Kay Burley is a hypocrite? I do think she's a, she's a hypocrite. And also it's, it's like the woke that, you know, woke people love to turn on their own. So yeah. the, you know, the newspapers have all been like criticising, oh, Dominic Cummins, he drove to, you know, Doncaster, whatever. You know, any minor infraction, Lawrence Fogg said lunch with people. So any minor infraction, they jump on it and they're like, you know, like, granny killer, you're evil, you know? So then, like, you know, she's, she's gone to the restaurant with, you know, some minor breach of, of the rules. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, she kind of has to, to fall on her own sword there. 
Well, I, I think the, the, I spoke about this last week, but the hypocrisy around Lawrence Fox was incredible because ultimately, this is what it comes down to at the moment. It's the appearance of gestures. He was upfront about his thought process, right? Kay Burley, Beth Rigby, Rita Ora have made the exact same thought process, right? And it's being treated slightly differently. In fairness, there is a lot of coverage of this thing with, with Kay Burley. But there's not the venom on social media that there was for, for, for Lawrence Fox. And obviously, he's got previous with the left or whatever. But yeah. I just thought they, they're the same. It's the same. It's like I'm doing something because I want to do it. And I, I think that, that I can get away with it, you know. But, yeah. for, but it's funny now, thinking back on Beth Rigby, you know, standing there in that garden when Dominic Cummins looked like he was judging a fucking homemade lemonade competition, right? <laughs> And just felt the the vitriol against Lawrence Fox was uh, was was because of his disdain, his obvious disdain for for the whole thing and his disdain for uh, for the NHS. Um, but I mean, he's you know I think it's it's a valid point. You know, we've got to be so thankful and clap for the for the NHS, but it's the it's the only like service we have to clap for. You don't go out on your doorstep and clap. You know, Plusnet. Oh, thanks, Plusnet. Very stable. Internet connection this month. Like the only other people who get clapped are Ryanair. I think in both both cases, it's like scumbags are glad they didn't die. Right, we've got a dilemma. Ask for dilemmas on the email. And if you want to email in about anything we've said, tell us we were right, wrong. It's uh, what most people you what most people think. UK at gmail.com. Uh, this is from. I'm just going to call her Louise, right? Because I think she probably won't want me to say her name. Um, but could you discuss the professional dilemma faced by teachers? How early is too early to finish before their 16-day Christmas break? And how much might they be able to j- delay January school reopening without the public thinking they're taking the piss? So I don't know <laughs> if, if Louise is a teacher there, but there's certainly, the more I read it, I'm thinking maybe not. And there's like a healthy dose of cynicism in there. <laughs> so, te- teachers haven't had a good war, have they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, teachers, they had a lot of time. They had a lot of time off, and um, and then they've had to go back in the classroom with, with all these uh, children that are spreading it. But they're they're not the people I really feel. The people I really feel sorry for are like shop workers, people in Tesco's, because like all these office workers, oh, furloughed, furloughed on eighty percent of your salary. Oh, oh, just, what a dream! I wish, I wish I'd still had a normal job. That'd yeah. just be an absolute dream, like to get the money and not have to do any work. That's amazing, but uh, shop workers, you know, right at the cold face. And you teachers, know, my a, lot hero is now. Have, a lot of my comedian friends have gone back into supply teaching. They say it's just it's mayhem in the schools at the no, moment. I'm sure, I'm sure it is. I mean, it's, it's a tough job at the moment. Um, although I did take exception when, like, you know, when the, the teachers were working from home and a lot of teachers were saying, uh, I'm actually working harder than I've ever worked. I thought, really? <laughs> I mean, just <laughs> for a second. I mean, like, I can understand you're, you're working more maybe than you thought you would. <laughs> like maybe you haven't to send emails till lunchtime. I'm not sure. <laughs> Harder than I've ever worked. We've got another letter here. This is from Dave S. He says, Jeff, hi Jeff. I've been very chipper since the vaccine announcement. An end in sight at last. Uh, I felt like that was the time for rejoicing and garden parties if it wasn't so cold. But I've been surprised by the lack of celebration generally about it. And he basically says that, you know, he says on one side, that's probably because of the science. But he also speculates that is it because people can't stop moaning about the government and Boris? I mean, is it like, because it did seem to me on social media this week that the people that were most passionate about getting a vaccine, approving it, when the government actually got the rollout of it organised in pretty good time, it was fucking quiet out there, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, people, yeah, people are just locked into this this thing of where they've got to complain. Like the Guardian had a thing because, like, uh, Matt Hancock went on TV and you know he was he was crying. He was genuinely, I thought it was genuinely yeah. heartfelt emotion because it must be a stressful time to to be in the government. I mean, you know, health secretary, for, health secretary during a pandemic sounds like a description of the worst job you could do. Yeah, well, yeah, at least absolutely. I wasn't health secretary during a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the only thing worse is uh, is being uh, a shop assistant during furlough. But, <laughs> or a suitcase um, salesman during a pandemic. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the, the Guardian's coming out and saying, like, oh, I was developed in Germany. Like, Eng- England, yeah, Britain, yeah. Britain had nothing to do with it. And, uh, like, I, I just thought that was, that was so unfair. I did feel a bit, a, a twinge of... Um, a twinge of shame from a country when the Oxford one came out and they're like, oh, it's only 70% effective. And yeah. that one, we, we had such high hopes for that. I thought it, was, it wasn't the first one out. 
and it's only 70%, but like you say, it's cheap, so what are you going to get? Yeah, it's the supermarket own brand cola. Like, all it needs is someone's mum to go out there and tell everybody it's just as good as the Pfizer. I don't know what you kids. <laughs> quick, oh, quick one from a friend of the show, David Price here. And obviously, with you being Scottish, I thought I'd read this one out. Um, basically, just to kind of crunch it down a bit, what he's saying is, is the language around indie ref is very positive, isn't it? You know, they don't, you know, the, the language around Brexit has been Brexiteers, leavers, uh, yeah. Whereas in Scotland, it's indie ref, yes or no, you know? And, yeah. you know, is there, do you feel that, that sometimes the whole idea of Scotland leaving the UK is, is given uh, a positive treatment by a sort of liberal London press? Yeah, and I don't understand it. Like, Scottish nationalism is just as sort of jingoistic and virulent as, as uh, English nationalism. But English nationalism, you know, gets, uh, gets castigated by the metropolitan elite and in the press and Scottish nationalism gets treated as if it's some sort of like incredibly woke, beneficent, you know, friendly thing. Uh, I grew up in Scotland with English parents, so I've seen, you know, anti-English um, sentiment. And uh, a couple of months ago, uh, Scottish nationalists were standing at the border telling like cars coming up from England to literally F off back to, to England. And can you imagine if like, you know, Tommy Robinson did that on the beach at Dover? Like, people would be in uproar. <laughs> Nicola Sturgeon took, like, 48 hours to even say it was a bad thing to do. So, yeah, I think Scottish nationalism is, uh, is, is, is a, dangerous, it's a dangerous thing because it's, it's not seen as a, as a bad thing. And just one last one here. And I just say, I love getting the dilemmas. We've had a running thing about issues in, in, in marriages. And, and, and I think increasingly... And maybe for a long time, a lot of men, men find it much harder to tell their wives and partners what it is that pisses them off, right? Women give a constant kind of, it's an open door policy, where they, they, you're, you're, it's a constant appraisal of what you're doing and how you're fucking stuff up. So this is like a safe space for blokes to talk about this kind of stuff. So we've got a letter here from uh, Keith, and um, he says, I'll get straight to the point. For the last 12 years, my wife and I have each had our own bedroom and it's worked well. We've been married 29 years. However, we're moving home next year and the wife is making noises about sharing a bedroom again. I've tried putting forward the practical arguments like the fact we get up for work at different times, but she's now garnering support from her female friends, I bet she fucking is, and family members who've always considered our sleeping arrangements a bit odd. Which is great because in, in the process of uh, kind of like badgering you, she's probably shared that. Do you know everyone thinks we're odd? Um, <laughs> can you think of any arguments I could use beyond wanting to retain a safe space for the occasional wank? Um, I mean, look, first off, I think, Lee, I, I don't know about you, this, is, this, this ship has already sailed. You're not going to win this argument. If she's already canvassing, uh, you know what I mean, like friends and family, and, and, yeah. and, and they've they're said gonna, it. They're going to drag him in. Everyone's going to grab an arm or a leg. But, <laughs> so they, how long have they been sleeping in separate rooms? I, I don't years. understand marriages like this. I thought the whole point of like, getting married is like, you know, you've got somebody to sleep with. The fact, basically, she's got out of the blocks quicker on this argument, hasn't she? If they, we spoke a lot about referendums in the show. Yeah. She's already out there pressing flesh, kissing babies. Do you know what I mean? And all yeah. your argument really is, is that your argument is we get up for work at different times. Um, people just say earplugs or it's a price worth paying. And the other argument, which is the most compelling argument, which is about the occasional wank, is going to be a difficult one to sell to friends and family. Yeah, he's going to have to, like, you know, um, find a way of masturbating next to his wife without waking her up. He's going to, like, I don't know, just have, um, I don't know, if you have some uh, comedy playing on an iPad, then you can pretend you're laughing. <laughs> That's why the bed's shaking. The, I mean, watching telly in bed as well, that's a big thing because I think now we're all very specific over what we watch. You know, you, we've got our dramas on the go. So when you go to bed, and I've had it, you know, when I have like working weird times and stuff, I do think one of the kickbacks is that when I go to bed, I could just have this program on that I want to have on. Um, maybe you could just watch really, you know, the kind of stuff that women hate watching, like really violent shows, like The Boys on Amazon Prime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just really, and re like, what, what kind of shit do women really hate watching generally? Oh, um, yeah, you know, oh, man, like, you know what women really hate? Like, apart from uh, video games and, like, violent shows, they hate crumbs in the bed. Brilliant shout. Genius. Crumbs in the bed. So if, if he starts eating, like, wholemeal toast with, uh, with like, Marmite on it or something, like, she, 
she is going to be get back in that spare room. Yeah, all that all that smelly food that men mainly eat, like kind of yeah. blue cheeses, um, port, drink port, just get gout. You know, <laughs> just get gout. Just eat spicy food, so your your nighttime farts are kind of like black ops. Um, <laughs> and and yeah, just set the alarm and wake yourself up, and then just spend twenty minutes thrashing about as though you're asleep. Yeah. Because essentially, she's done a sneaky thing. She's already started basically trying to negotiate trade deals before this was underway. So I think that you've got to play dirty here, Keith. I think that you've got to, you've got to take it uh, to, the, to the next level, you know? Yeah. And also you've got to think, I don't know, reading between the lines, it sounds like she wants more intimacy and warmth in her life. So you should maybe, like, get in that bed and, um, you know, get stuck in before she, like, finds a personal trainer. <laughs> well, I mean, this is the but at this time, they've been married 29 years, so I could sort of guess at their time of life. I'm thinking that, yeah, you're right, maybe it is about being more tactile and intimate, but at that time of life, it's not going to be the tactile and intimate that Keith wants, is it? It's going to be, <laughs> hold me, do you know what I mean? Like, let's spoon. <laughs> let's... I don't know, I mean, if, if, uh, you know, if the kids have flown the nest, they might be wanting to get into some, you know, kinky BDSM stuff. It could be, yeah. No, I mean, that can happen in relationships. That, that weird when you roll back the years and you sort of think, oh, I didn't think we'd ever have sex like this again. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he's got his hands on the ceiling thinking, fucking hell, hello, old friend. <laughs> okay, and Leo, thank you so much for sitting in and, and talking all the topical stuff this week. Where can we direct people in, certain, in terms of your social media and stuff you're putting out there that people should follow? Yeah, I'm on, uh, I'm on Twitter and YouTube. Um, on Instagram as well but yeah twi Twitter and YouTube are, are the best ones to, to get me on I put videos up um, every every week or so so yeah yeah and you put in I see you put in like you know time into the production and stuff like that um, it is a fucking ball like though isn't it <laughs> oh man totally oh, you wouldn't believe like you think I, I don't even know how they make films like The Avengers like just <laughs> just making a video of me sitting in front of like you know a black cloth talking shit is uh is like i mean that's too much effort for me so <laughs> that's really funny man well listen leo thanks so much for coming back on the show and hopefully have you back on again soon yeah i'd love to come back thanks jeff thanks for having me is the podcast for this week thank you very much to leo curse absolutely love that chat and check out everything he's doing on social media uh, we have a, i think we have do we have a three pound patreon this week might have a couple might have a couple uh we have one gerard bartley gerard bartley he, sa he sounds like one of those blokes that would have his tattoo torn, torn down <laughs> you know like he was for years he was like remembered well as a benevolent patron of the of the town then suddenly it, it, it turned out that he uh, sexually abused his servants um, um, okay, I shouldn't really laugh at that idea. It's not that idea I'm laughing at. Yeah, no, fuck you. It's my podcast. Um, reviews. Seems like we, this is what I was saying about last uh, week's episode, episode 66. So I might have to truncate some of these reviews, otherwise people uh, might. But if you leave a review, five stars, I will read it out, or at the very least, uh, most of it. Uh, what a great pledge that was. I will read most of it out. Uh, this is from Scott Gwynn. Another great podcast by Jeff. My only gripe would be that the cuss count hasn't recorded a single use of the word prickery for what seems like months. With Marcus Rashford and Gary Neville starting to dabble in politics, I'm curious what Jeff's thoughts are on politicians getting involved in football. That's a funny idea. Uh, how about John Redwood's take on zonal defensive marking systems? Caroline Lucas on how to counter the high press. Well, she, she, just, she would suggest a meat, a plant-based diet, I suspect. And Diane Abbott trying to calculate how many oranges are needed for half-time. Well, in the spirit of balance, of course, Pretty Patel's had her issues with numbers, so let's get them together as the most unlikely managerial duo. Uh, this is from Maxi. Jeff, another brilliant episode. Loved your take on the SMP. Look up Monty Python's Ewan McTeagle sketch. It's Ian Blackford to a T. Okay, I will do. Uh, this is from Max Sanderos. Max Sanderos. Max Sanderos. Always look forward to the new episode at the end of each week. Jeff reviews the previous events from the right perspective, winky emoji. Also shout out to the best eyebrows in showbiz since Shotcorn. Since Sean Connery, sadly unable to translate into podcast format, but his audio is also good. Five stars. 
Thank you, Max Sandeiros. I hope the accent was racist enough for you. Uh, this is from Goff. Love the pod. The views aren't always aligned to my own, but it is just funny. Too much comedy is censored and PC, but Jeff just has funny bones and sees through things through ordinary not eyes. I wish I did have funny bones. That's what fucking hell. I have to write for ages to come up with ideas. My son is the one with funny bones. I'm going to get him on the podcast soon. I might have to just truncate this one, but that was from Mike from Abergavenny. Thanks so much for the review, mate. Uh, this is from They Don't Half Make It Difficult. <laughs> just figured out how to rate shows and went straight. Oh, this is, uh, I think that one's been uh, read before. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Mike from Abergavenny, thank you very much. Thank you for everybody who listens. Uh, it'd be good to get, you know, a few more numbers up. So if you think that there's someone that would like it, then recommend it. Equally, if you've got a lefty mate at work that pisses you off, then recommend it to them and tell them it's the new woke podcast on the block. Yeah.